And good morning, Calvary. And good morning to our podcast listeners as well. I have lived and had the privilege of living in two military towns. And so on a Memorial Day weekend, I just wanted to start the service by saying thanks for all those who have given their sacrifices and their lives so that we can be here today um, worshiping in freedom. And we appreciate that. Um, as you think back to the start of the series, I started with this idea, this, the widow's might, and reminding us that when you die, you'll be remembered for one of two things. You'll be remembered for your faith or lack thereof, and you'll be remembered whether or not you were pleasant. And if you remember, we talked about how that at the funeral, when you're remembered, they will lie. If you're, you, hopefully the minister won't, but they're going to say nice things about you. So it's not even at the funeral. It's like what they're going to say after the funeral. Yeah, he was an honorary old guy, but at the funeral, it's like, oh, yeah. Paul was the greatest person ever. No, he wasn't. He was mean. But you're going to say that kind of stuff. And that's the reality of what you will be remembered for in trying to gear yourself up for that idea in mind. And when I think of these stories and how the widows might and the people who lived through difficult circumstances and lived their life to have faith, who lived and showed the example of what it means to be remembered as a person of faith and as a pleasant person, right? I think of my grandmother. Now, my grandmother wasn't a widow. Um, she died before my grandfather. But my grandmother had six months to live for 18 years. As she had cancer, um, she had secondhand smoke. She worked in a phone operator booth in the 50s and 60s before they knew the danger of smoking. She never smoked a cigarette in her life, but had uh, lung cancer. And from being in the, the tight space with that. And she had six months to live. And so they gave her, for her last six months of life, steroids to make her life as pleasant as possible. Well, then she lived for 18 years. And when you couple that with osteoporosis, the woman grew, uh, shrunk, actually from like 5'8 to about 4'10, 5'9 to 4'10. Uh, the steroids ate away her muscles and the bones deteriorated for osteoporosis. So when she died, she was a crippled old lady who could barely hold her elbows up and played cards with us for hours. And she took around this walker with her. And this walker, I love this walker. And in the front of the walker was this big basket. And the basket was what I called the phone book. And it was her medical records because kids back then, on all the medical records weren't kept up by all the doctors and all their computer systems. And so she had so many doctors that she would take her medical records with her. And this phone book was her medical records. It was all the surgeries, everything she had ever been through. And it was on that old kind of paper that you had to attach that printed out. It would go front, back, front, back. And then you'd have to carefully rip off the sides. Some of the older people in the room remember when I talk about the older people. Like, I have no clue. Tell me later. Um, That kind of thing. And you did all that stuff. And she would do it. But what I loved about her is she would sit there and she'd take that with her. Because she never knew when she was going to have a medical emergency. But she always lived a pleasant life. She was always smiling, and she was a woman of faith. To me, she was the example of you can have a difficult life, and you can still be pleasant to be with. And I I think that's so true. That's what I've gathered from this series is is really how are you— What excuses are you giving for not living a pleasant life? And I I want us to wrap this up this morning, this series, by realizing what we've really been doing is addressing the widows who have been modeling our follower statements. See, right here we have a statement that says, followers that make followers of Jesus. That's the mission and vision of Calvary. We're followers of Jesus, and we want to take as many people with us as we try to follow Jesus. To help us understand how to do that, we have four subsidiary follower statements, and they look like this. 
Followers serve God and others. And we saw this with the story of the widow and Elijah. As she served faithfully God's servant, and through the process, she found her faith grew. As you serve, your faith will grow. And we talked about Naomi. Followers follow Jesus or God. And actually, through that story, how one person followed God and one didn't. So the consequences of not following God are devastating. But the consequences of following God and being discipled and growing in your relationship with God are really good. The last week we talked about the, the true story of the widow's might and talked about how followers give generously. And today we're really talking about a story of a widow who shared what they knew. Actually, it's widows today. That's why it's plural. Shared what they knew. And the story is found in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Here's what it says. 2 Timothy, Paul is writing to Timothy, a young pastor, and here's what he says. I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience, as my ancestors did, when I constantly remember you in my prayers, night and day. Remembering your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy, and I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I'm convinced is in you also. Now, this is the classic Mother's Day sermon. Say, Daniel, it's not Mother's Day. I understand. It actually was going to be Mother's Day sermon, but I changed it up. Because I think there's so much more than just doing the classic Mother's Day sermon, which is this. Lois and Eunice really loved God. They passed it down to their kids. Their kids grew up to live for God and change the world. That is a wonderful story. It's a great Mother's Day story. But there's so much going on here than just investing in your kids, okay? Now, hear me. The greatest mission field you have is your family. And if you're expecting the church to, gra- to, to help your kids grow up and to know who Christ is, you're not understanding their role as parent. You're supposed to parent. If you are a parent and have kids, you are supposed to show your kids Christ. Okay? But the, the preeminent fact of this story is not they were effective by helping show their kids faith, but rather they were effective because their faith naturally led them to share it with their kids. There's a little difference there. Do you understand? One is the model of, I'm going to show my kids faith, and whether or not they like it, blah, 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 blah. And the other is, I can't help. I want my kids so desperately to know faith because it means so much to me. Now, if you carry that out outside of the world, it's really the idea of followers share what they know. Because reality says the gospel should penetrate our life. And when I say gospel, that is the good news of what Jesus did for us. It should penetrate our life so much that it can't help but come out of our life into the lives of other people. This is what it should look like. So let me ask you this question. Why don't we share? I think we have several excuses of why we don't share what we know. Excuse number one, my life is messy. You ever found someone says, I I don't really think I can share Christ or share what God has done to my life until my life gets a little better. You ever been there? I've Followed that lie, swallowed that lie a couple times myself. But look with me in Acts 16.1. Acts 16.1 says this. Then Paul went on to Derbe and Lystra, and there was a disciple named Timothy. Same Timothy that he's writing in Timothy, just to make sure there's no miscommunication there. The son of a believing Jewish woman, but his father was a Greek. Now later on, we have reason to believe his father passed away, thus she was a widow. But Here's where the plot thickens. Dump, dump, dump. Okay? Because what we realize is Timothy's father was a Greek. 
And so you can extrapolate from this that Timothy's father was not a person who grew up knowing the scriptures. And Timothy's father was probably not even a person who lived out the faith. In fact, later, Paul hints at the fact that he was not a believer, did not believe the faith. And so what you have is Timothy being raised by a woman who had a husband who was not a believer. Life is a mess. And I know that resonates with many people in our church. We sit there and go, I I want my kids to know Christ, but my spouse doesn't believe. The grandparents don't believe. The ex doesn't believe. The the, the stepmom doesn't believe. The whatever. And I don't know how to do this. And, And what I would encourage you to realize is, yeah, don't use that as an excuse. Because here's the reality. Your life is a mess. My life is a mess. All of our lives is a mess. And we can find excuses. We can, we can find this understanding, but everyone has a messy life, right? We, we just do. And, and here's what this looks like, okay? We, there's a town somewhere, I think it's in Missouri, a small little town. And, and the, you never read those things about like silly rules, silly, silly laws that have never been wiped off the books. There's a, a town in Missouri that says this, it is against the law to not take a bath on Saturday night. On Saturday night, every single person in the town has to take a bath. Now, we don't know if that's a shower, but we're assuming it means getting cleansed, right? And you understand that they've never uh, wiped clean (laughs) that law from the books. They've never sponged it, if you would. It's still there. And, and, and so I'm bathing in the humor here. And as you're going through this and you're looking at it, okay, you sit there and go, why was that rule established? That rule was established because they wanted people to go to church on Sunday clean. Probably in a time before there was air conditioning and deodorant. Okay? And so when they would show up to church, it was like, we don't want to smell everybody, so everybody get clean. But here's the reality. A lot of us do that too. We show up to church and we're like, I got my makeup on. I got my smile on. I I took my bath. I'm cleansed. And I know I've been a Christian for a long time. So I'm supposed to have a clean life, you know? I don't cuss. I don't chew. I don't date the girls that do all that stuff. If you never heard that, then... You were not my father. So uh, this idea of reality is that we have this mentality that when we come to church where our lives is supposed to be perfect and and clean and and, and because that's a farce. That's a fallacy. And we need to, to realize our lives are messy. Here's the unfortunate reality. The people in our lives that typically are the best at sharing what they know are the people who have a really messy life. You know why? Because God saved them from it. <laughs> and I look at how our church has grown. We've, we've, we've tripled in five years, and that's glory to God. But the reality is the reason that we've tripled is because the gospel has penetrated the lives of messy people. And those messy people have invited a lot of other messy people. And you're sitting in the room full of messy people. And the reality is the people who grew up in this church are far less likely to invite people as the people who admit their life is a mess. So here's the freedom. I want you to admit your life is a mess. Why? So that the gospel can penetrate your life. The gospel can clean it up. The good news of what God has done on the cross can not only change your life from the past, but can change it for now. And you can walk into a new freedom and really understand what it looks like to say, I want someone to know what God is doing in my life. So can we just take a moment and admit none of us have our lives together? You struggled this week? Me too. You had a difficult moment in life? Yeah, I understand. 
but God. So the excuse of my life is a mess isn't going to work because we're going to give God the glory as he cleans up the mess. Excuse number two, why we don't share. I don't know enough. I get that all the time. And, and sometimes we've given you even the cop-out saying, if you don't know anything else, followers share what they know. You know that we're going to share what Jesus is doing in lives by bringing people here. So invite people to church. That's true. But you should really share a little more than just that. I don't know enough. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. So 1 Timothy, now we're at the end of 2 Timothy. Paul's still writing to Timothy and encouraging with these words. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know that those who taught you, and you know from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Because all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Say, Daniel, that's great. You know, Timothy heard the scripture since the time he was a kid, and I get it. And, but I didn't have the scriptures taught to me as a kid. I don't know as enough. I accepted Christ as an adult. I don't know enough. But you're missing the point. This is not a sermon about Timothy. Who's it about? Eunice and Lois. Eunice and Lois were the ones that taught Timothy from the moment he was a child. And you might not understand the impact of that, but you do realize the difficulty of teaching the Scripture if you were a woman in a non-believing marriage of that time. First of all, you probably didn't know how to read. Kind of hard to teach Scriptures if you don't know how to read. But that's okay because there were no Bibles available either. <laughs> in fact, very few people knew how to read. And the way the Scripture would have been taught was through memorization. The way the Scripture would have been taught was those women seeking other women who taught them. The, the going to church. And by the way, the church back then was very separated. And there was a place that only the women could go. And then an inner sanctum where the men could go. Aren't you glad we aren't doing that? Amen. The reality is it would have been a struggle for those ladies to have access to the Scripture of God, but they found a way to get it. Why? Because the Scriptures penetrated their heart. So is the Scripture penetrating your heart? The reason sometimes we don't share what we know is because we don't really understand what we're doing and, and why this is impacting our lives. But as the gospel comes in and it takes hold, it starts to really make us want to be something other than what we have ever thought is. And, and we start really diving into knowing it more, diving into really find it more, diving into really... And maybe we don't really know the scriptures because we've been fed a lie. And that leads us to excuse number three. Excuse number three of why we don't share what we know is we are not confident in our own understanding of the gospel. The gospel is the good news of what Jesus has done for us. We're not very confident of that. And, and let me just apologize again on behalf of the universal church, not just the church at Calvary, because here's what we've done. We're, and hear me, I am so excited about VBS. We have 350 kids or so coming in a few weeks. And if you're a VBS teacher, keep going, keep loving them. And I love this. But here's what a lot of people have done through the years through VBS, if you're not careful. And we're very careful about not doing this here, okay? The goal of VBS is how many kids we can hold under the water. 
in a good way called baptism. So we're going to dunk them and save them, right? So here's what happens. You walk to a seven-year-old. Hey, do you want to spend forever and eternity in a burning place of fire? Well, no. Then pray this prayer. Good. Now we're going to baptize you. Saved. They get to live forever with God in heaven. And the reality is that's not what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And why did the parents and the adults teach them? Because that's what they were taught. Because we've simplified the gospel to fire insurance. And by fire insurance, I don't mean like a good neighbor, okay? I'm talking fire insurance of an eternity. I'm talking fire insurance of I don't want to spend forever in a place of misery. And hear me, I believe hell is very real and is a miserable place to be. But we've simplified the gospel to be this. You receive Christ and you get your reward in the next life and you bide your time here. That's not the gospel. The gospel says Jesus came and wants to bring you back into a right relationship. Not in the next life, but in the life that is here and now. That Jesus wants to grab a hold of your circumstances, grab a hold of your turmoil, grab a hold of your struggles, your worry, your anxiety, your depression, your addictions. He wants to grab a hold of whatever you thought was in your life this week that prevented you from walking closer to God. And he says, I want it. Because you weren't made to live like that. And maybe if we understood that, we would share what we know a little more rather than just saying, following Christ means you got to go through the difficult moments right now. Because here's what it looks like. It looks like we're a used car salesman that doesn't like the car they got. Yeah, it's fine. Kick the cars. It'll be okay. But one day it's going to be a great ride. But right now it's like, ooh. Right? So let's break down the gospel a little more. We've covered this before, but I want you to really understand it because I'm not doing my job if we don't understand this. So this is what the gospel overview looks like. You were made with dignity. You and I were made with dignity. Who? Everyone. Everyone who's ever walked the face of the earth. You know how I know it? The Bible says, in the beginning, God, right? And Genesis 1.27 says that he made man and woman in the image of God. Daniel Berry paraphrase there. But in the image of God means that you were made to have a relationship with God so that when you were carefully knit together in your mother's womb, mom and daddy may have been there, but God did the work. God did the work and he carefully made you with your personality. He made you with your identity. He made you with all your likes and all your interests. And he carefully and did not make a mistake. He made you bald if you're bald. Enjoy it. And the reality of what that looks like, right, is you grow up and you sit there and you go, okay, I was made with something. No, because we're taught from the moment that you're not living up to the expectations. And the reality is we aren't living up to the expectation that God set out, and it's called sin. And when we do something that is against what God wants us to do, we miss out on God's best expectation for our lives. In other words, we rob ourselves of the dignity that God himself gave us, and we enter into something called depravity. And depravity, depraved, means that we no longer, we are depraving ourselves of the dignity that we were made to be in. And Romans 3.23 says, who's done that? All of us. For all have sinned, all have depraved and fallen short of the glory of God. And that created a chasm, a separation of us longing for something to fill this hole that says, I'm not enough. I've lost my dignity. And so we look to plug it with alcohol or we look to plug it with addictions or fame or money or a 401k or whatever. We look to replace it with control. 
And nothing seems to satisfy because that's not what we were made to be. And so God looked down and he saw our mess and you're in a mess and I'm in a mess and we're all in a mess. And he said, I'm not going to leave you in that mess. And so the father sent his son Jesus to die for us. And John 3.16 says this, the process of reconciliation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, that he came down and died so that we could be restored, would have an everlasting life. Now here's the cool part. The everlasting life doesn't start the moment you die. The everlasting life starts the moment you say, Jesus, come into my life. Come in. If you've never done that today, before you leave, would you stop by the next step space and say, I want to know that I've done this. Would you help talk Matt through me with me? But it really is just recognizing, saying, Gee, you can do it right here in the seat you're in. Jesus, come in and then let us know because we don't want to leave you right there. Jesus, come in. I know I need you. I'm a sinner. Come in. And then once that happens, your life's still going to be a mess. Why? Because we're still on the earth. And so when our life is still a mess, well, we can end up sitting there and going, why is my life still a mess? I asked Jesus into my life. Well, that's the restoration. The restoration is the rest of our life restoring humanity back to the way that God wants it to look. And a lot of times, if we don't understand that process, we don't understand what that looks like, we don't understand the wrestling and the, the agony and the struggle, then, then we miss out the, of the beauty of what God has done for us and what he's doing for us. And, and look with me in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19, it says this, For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named by the, that's the dignity you were made in the image of God. I was made in the image of God. We we're all made in the image of God right there. And I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with the power in your inner being through his spirit. When? When your life is a mess. That you would be strengthened, right? And that you may, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted in what? The scriptures. Allowing the scriptures to change you. Allowing the scriptures to challenge you. Allowing God himself to use those scriptures to invade your soul. To change you. To make you into something. May be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and the width and the height and the depth of God's love. And to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I love that. Why? Because here's what it says. My life's a mess. Your life's a mess. And the reason our life's a mess is because we haven't let go of our life and given it to God. When you walk into a place like this on a Sunday morning, you sit there and thinking, oh, Memorial Day weekend. We're going to go. We're thankful for all those who've gone before us. And then we're going to go barbecue. Oh yeah, church. Okay, we're going to show up to church. That's what we do on Sunday mornings. We're going to get a little check in our box. Bonus, showed up on a holiday weekend. Okay, and we don't really expect the gospel to penetrate our life and to change our hearts. We don't really show up expecting the power of God to invade us, to change the very marrow of our bones and to come out of our skin, to, to just grab a hold of us and say, you weren't made to live miserable. That the ride of this life is supposed to be a glorious ride filled with bumps and turns and twists. But God did not leave you on this earth to be miserable. 
So what's making us miserable? We are limited by the perception of our minds, right? We're limited by the the limitations of our faith. We're limited by sin in the world and the fact that other people sin and other people bring their junk and other people bring their mess and it bombards us down and eventually we give in and we sin and we need to realize that this is the power of what Jesus, he doesn't want us to leave us there. He wants to restore us and he wants us to fight the good fight, to grasp how wide and how tall and how The depth of his love, which tells me the only thing limiting me knowing the magnitude of the depth of God's love is me. And you. And maybe, just maybe, you haven't experienced the faith of what God wants to do in your life. The fact that you don't have to live in that addiction forever. The fact that you don't have to live as the person who is a chronic worrier. The fact that you don't have to be the angry person all the time, that is known in the family as the person with a hot temper. The fact that you don't have to be the person who is struggling with whatever you're struggling, the fact that your marriage may be on the edge and the brink of disaster, that God can still restore that. Why? Because he loves us. That maybe, just maybe, the reason that your life is going the way it's going is because you've limited the power of God and you want the rest of the world to change, but you're not willing to change and walk in the presence of God. I'm looking in the mirror, by the way. It's not there, but it is. It's right here. So what would it look like if you really said, I'm going to live the gospel? Here's what it looked like. You start diving into the scriptures. So when the Bible says, be anxious about nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication, make your request known to God, and the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds and your strengths. You claim that scripture. Rejoice in all things. I say again, rejoice. Let your... Let that be evidence to all. Though we are hard-pressed and crushed on all sides, we are not giving up, for we know that God is doing stuff. For God makes all things good according to his work and might. And we start saying, I cannot have the victory, but I know the one who does. Let me give you a special little encouragement to you. You can't control other people. You just can't. And I know a whole lot of moms and dads who are struggling with this idea of, I have failed if my kids aren't living for Jesus. And I want to say, that's a lie. Your job is to show them Jesus and to tell them what they know, but God gives them the choice to follow or not. But here's the reality of it. As long as they have breath in their lungs, you can still keep showing them the love of Jesus. So don't give up hope. Don't hold your expectations. Don't hold your identity into a performance-driven faith that is not real. Live your life as a faith-based faith that believes God can do immeasurably more than you even fathom. And knowing that God allows people to choose to be in a relationship because that's what it means to be in a relationship. Do you understand? But here's the reality, too. If you really want to change the world, you want to change the lives, then the gospel has to constantly be changing your life. Why? Because your life's a mess and my life's a mess and God has to continually restore mine just like yours. Praise be to God. I think if we understood that the gospel is not just something for the next life, but is for this life, the world would change. Why? Because that's the point. 
The scriptures reveals us the way to understand the gospel. That's absolutely true. And we will show others how to understand the gospel through the way that God has revealed his story through us. And his story is restoration. Restoring your brokenness and making you new. So here's the Monday morning application. Very simple. Here's the Monday morning application as it looks out. We're going to share how God has restored you, pointing them to Jesus. But it implies you've been restored. So if you've never been a follower of Jesus, it's kind of hard to share it unless you first save Jesus. We hope you'll do that. But then share your salvation story. How did you come to follow Christ? What made you follow Christ? I was six years old. I went to my mom, my Eunice, in a sense. I went to her and I said, Mom, I think someone's talking to me. And you know what she didn't say? Go to bed. I've dealt with you all day and this is my 10 minutes of peace. I want to eat my pizza in quiet. No, she said, tell me what you heard. I was like, I don't know. It's like someone's calling my name. She said, could it be God? And I was like, I think it is God. I just felt weird saying that out loud kind of story. My mom lovingly poured the scriptures over me and said, you're ready to receive Jesus. That was early. Six years old is early, but it wasn't in a, let's get him dunked so there can be. It was, you understand that you need Jesus in your life to bring you into hope and life and joy. From there, share a moment that changed your life in a meaningful way. As a sophomore, freshman in college, I almost walked away from my faith. I was a minister student at a Christian school. And I was walked away my faith because there came to a time in my life where I was like, do I really believe this anymore? That struggle, that agony actually led me to be a college minister for 13 years because a whole lot of young adults struggle with that. They would never admit it. They might be in the church. They might be in the pew next to you. And you're sitting there and going, I would, never tell, I would have never told anyone, but I almost did because I didn't know. I just asked the normal questions, but God showed up to that and showed me that, yes, he does love me. And yes, he is real. And then you begin to share the struggles that you're currently having. And how God wants to bring that to fruition in an appropriate way. And here's the appropriate way. I say to you this last week, I wasn't the greatest dad. I wasn't the greatest husband that the world has ever seen. That's enough. Doesn't mean I was a bad one. It just means I wasn't the greatest. It means my life's a mess too. And that the pastor who is presenting the word of God to you is desperately in need of the Savior to restore my life just every bit as much as you but I believe he does it. It's so why I share this story. I started to bounce. I got excited. Why I share this story is because I believe that God wants to change your life. And one day, whatever struggles you're having, the Bible tells us that one day when you cease to breathe on this earth, you're going to be able to say, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Why? Because God has already given you victory, but the victory doesn't have to wait till now. You don't have to live the way you've lived. Now, it may require you doing work. It may require you seeking counseling. It may require you to go to celebrate recovery, the things that God has given us in this life to have victory. It may require you to say, I'm not going to be a person who is succumbing to this anymore. But you don't have to live and bide your time to the next life to have a good life. God wants you to have the life now. And when you do that, guess what happens? It's exciting. All of a sudden, instead of selling the car, we're sitting there going, oh, the car can king and bumping. You start to go, man, this is the greatest ride you'll ever be in. Hop on board, right? This is the drive of your life. This is the adventure of your life. Join me and get on board because this car, you can kick the tires. Everybody has kicked it. And you'll find it's true. Look under the hood. It's great. 
I'm so excited to you to know because God has rescued my life and I want you to know that this changes everything and I want you to have what I have. So here's the keys. Hop on board and find the ride of your life. His name is Jesus who came and died for you and for me. Church, if you're sharing what you know, it it proves you understand the power of the gospel. But here's the thing. You will never share what you know effectively out of guilt or compulsion. You will share what you know when you willingly understand it and invite it to invade and penetrate every part of your life and let it change you. So maybe you didn't come today expecting God to change your life. Maybe you didn't come today sitting there thinking, I need to change, but I think God wants to change us all. So I want to invite you in this moment to allow the presence of God into your life and to say, whatever it takes, restore. And commit that some chains need to be broken. What? You already know. And take it to the foot of the cross. What does that mean? It means I'm recognizing that Jesus needs to do the work. I can't do it anymore. And then through the companionship and the community of small groups, through the power of the scriptures, through the people in this room who will pray with you and love you, we're going to claim victory on this earth because God has given us the victory. Does that sound all right? And the only way to do that is to let it be Jesus. So God, in this moment, we do ask that our lives would be drawn into your presence, that you would do restoration in amazing ways. That whatever we're struggling with now, be it three months, six months, a year, we'd look back and maybe think Memorial Day 2018 was the day I decided I'm not going to let have victory over me anymore. That my God is bigger. And I'm going to let the love that surpasses all understanding, all knowledge, take control. So Father, I pray in this moment you would take it. And that you would help me to know how to relinquish this. And through the struggle, I would rejoice that you still love me. When I fall down, you'd pick me up and help me to keep running to you. But God, nothing should have victory over my life because you have given me victory. So make my life about you. And in the power of what you're doing in my life, may it be, let it be, Jesus.